Um, so, you know, I know nothing about this at this point. I look into that tub and I immediately feel this just oppressive darkness, um, just intense dread sitting in my chest. Um, I start shaking and I'm, I get emotional right now talking about it. Believe it or not. Believe it or not, incomparable, inimitable, illimitable, inestimable, introducer of immeasurable, incalculable, incredible impossibilities. Welcome to Ripley's Believe It or Not cast, the podcast that brings you deep into the strange, the bizarre, and the unusual. I'm Ryan. And I'm Brent. So, Ryan, welcome back. Um, let's, let's just dispense with, with all the jibber jabber though. Let's, let's just kick season three off with a story. And that I story. I am anti jibber jabber, by the way. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's just start off with a story about, uh, this song. And this song is called Johanna. So deep in the night when all the world is quiet, someone came and took her lover's life. Johanna, Johanna, where are you now? Could it be you're still here somehow? So as the story goes, Johanna was a pregnant dancer at a club near Cincinnati in the 1940s. And one night, Johanna's father murdered her lover by hanging the man, which in turn caused Johanna to commit suicide. So 40 years later, country music singer Bobby Mackey recorded a song about this story, in part because Bobby Mackey now owned the club where this suicide took place. So anyone who lives in or near Cincinnati knows about Bobby Mackey's, which is located right across the Ohio River in Wilder, Kentucky. So there, sitting alone off a gravel driveway by a railroad track, is Bobby Mackey's Music World, a three-story nightclub that was once, among other things, a slaughterhouse and biker bar. Now, Bobby Mackey's is considered one of the most haunted places in the world. Why? Because it's seen its share of violence and strangeness over the years. Just a word of warning. In this podcast, we describe some gruesome violence that may not be appropriate for young ears or even old ears. So... The alleged hauntings date back to the 1700s, when historians say slaves were punished on the property. For decades, the nightclub stood as a place for ne'er-do-wells. From the 1920s to the 1950s, it was the Primrose Country Club, where the mafia ruled with liquor, gambling, and prostitution. Then it became the Latin Quarter, a fine dining establishment and casino. But that gave way to a biker bar known as the Bloody Bucket, where literally buckets of violence were said to occur before Bobby Mackey bought the place in 1978. So Bobby Mackey has been recording music for 40 years in the style of Hank Williams and George Jones. He still plays every week at his honky-tonk to large crowds of fans, many who come to ride a huge mechanical bull there. Uh, But once Bobby heard of the strange things going on at his bar, he wanted everyone to stay quiet, actually. 
but then the paranormal investigator Douglas Hensley wrote a book in the mid-90s called Hell's Gate that detailed what he and others found there. Now, Ryan, you've been to Bobby Mackey several times, um, mm-hmm. but we really couldn't rely solely on your past accounts for this episode, right? Mm-hmm. So we sent our own crew there to take a tour and tell us what happened, and I'll just say this. The day after the tour, the tour guide called and told us that she almost shut down the tour because she was so freaked out by the violent reaction of our guests, which you'll get to hear in a bit. So the place became increasingly popular over the years. Uh, Bobby Mackey's has appeared on daytime talk shows and later the the TV show Ghost Adventures. Uh, Videos of workers were allegedly leaked on YouTube that supposedly showed them undergoing exorcisms. Uh, More books were written about the place. And now uh, Mackey, uh, whom you heard at the beginning of this episode in a song, uh, has embraced the paranormal side of things. Uh, Paranormal tours are hosted every week week at the site, and people come from all over the country to see what they can see there. Uh, Some, like a few of our friends, get more than they wish for. Uh, But before we get to that, uh, let's meet Angie Jackson, who actually gave the tour uh, to our friends, and uh, she tells us what it's like to give tours at the gates of hell. I have been doing the tours for Bobby Mackey's for probably about six years now, and um had a lot of crazy experiences with with Bobby Mackey's. It's Mm. very unique and uh, right in my backyard. So I'm very lucky that uh, that I have access uh, to the to the most haunted nightclub in America. So, yeah, with a two hour tour, we walk through, we go through the basement, through the, the main level and also upstairs to the apartment. The tour guides hand out equipment like flashlights and audio recorders and EMF devices for guests to use during the tours. The guides turn off the lights and electricity, then go examine all of the hotspots. That includes the bar, the bathrooms, the concert area, the upstairs apartment, and the basement, which includes a jail cell and an old well, something that has served several purposes throughout the years, including as the repository for animal remains when the building was used as a slaughterhouse. So, as I mentioned, the the little 30-minute basement tours when the the bar is open, we typically don't do those tours. Um, Bobby has uh, bouncers and and other little, you know, some tour guides, you Uh know, that do that when the bar open but this one particular weekend Bobby needed someone to help him and uh, I volunteered told him that I'd come in for the weekend and, and help do these tours so I had to get ready for the evening which meant I had to go down to the basement alone which I do not like to do that I, I if I can prevent it I'm not going by myself mm-hmm. but this particular night I had to go down had to get the basement ready so I walked down I unlocked the door and I opened it, did not even step inside the basement door. And I just froze. I just immediately got this feeling like, you know, there's, there's just something not quite right. And for whatever reason, I looked down all the way down at the far end of the basement towards the right hand side, back where the dressing rooms uh, are. I heard like this really loud popping noise. It was almost like an electrical sound. And when I, again, when, when I looked down there, I could see it was, it was dark, but there was enough light coming in from the, the door coming inside the outside light. I could kind of see down there and there was this black, it's smoke, I, I kind of almost want to say, that kind of drifted out of one of the closed dressing room doors. And I could see it kind of hovering over the, the floor 
and I swear in that little smoky area that bit of smoke or, or whatever it was I could see black particles moving inside of it it was so bizarre and I could hear this buzzing sound it was almost it, not an insect sound but it was an electrical like buzzing and then all of a sudden it just kind of dissipated and I just felt I was just so creeped out then there was the kid who got scratched and the ghost that followed her home I had a, um, there was a, a couple of guys from Philadelphia. We were down in the, we- the well room uh, in the cell, the little cell that I was telling you about. Uh-huh. And, um, of course, one of the guys, he was in there. He was doing some some provoking. And, you know, the, the tour had been actually relatively quiet. And all of a sudden, this guy, he jumps out. And he takes off running out of the cell. And he's like, oh, my God, I swear I felt a cold hand grab my leg and so i calmed him down had him sit down i'm like so let's you know try to make some contact with this and as we're sitting there he becomes more and more frightened and he takes his flashlight and he looks down at his leg and you could actually see three scratches going up his leg like across his shin and up behind his knee and these were fresh. You could actually see, you know, the little dots of blood, and they were red raised welts and, and little pieces of broken skin in the area where this guy said he was grabbed, and you could just watching this appear on his leg. Wow. That that was probably one of the, the, the most fascinating things that I've seen. I wasn't scared. It was fascinating to, to, to know that he felt a cold hand on his leg and then watch these welts appear. It's been over a year now, um, almost a year and a half, that um, finally I think something followed me home. But again, I was not threatened by it. Um, Just, you know, my story was that I I felt like it was an adolescent boy. And um, just I started to hear things in my home and my husband even started to notice these things, and he doesn't get into this stuff. He believes it, but he doesn't get into it, right? And he, he's always telling me, don't bring this home. Okay. Do not bring this stuff home, right? I've heard the and same like, thing, yeah. <laughs> and I always just kind of blow it off, and I laugh. And I'm like, there's nothing going to come home. But, but no, I started to experience these things. I started to see this, um, this little boy. At first, I kind of mis- mistaken it for my kids, you know, waking up in the middle of the night, and I see this kid walking past my bed. Thought, you know, thinking it was my kids, and then I'd start to hear things, and then my husband would start to hear things, and he would get up, and you know, in the middle of the night, and then one finally, what really did it for me though, uh, in the in the morning, getting ready for for work, get in my shower, you know, private personal space, I feel this burning sensation on my left arm, and as I look down. I have one single red welt from my wrist all the way up to my elbow. And again, it was that little raised welt with little pieces of broken skin. And you could see little dots of blood in it where it was, you know, it broke the skin. Mm. That's when I'm like, okay. So I'm talking to myself in the shower and my husband's probably hearing me. But I'm like, okay, I know that you're here. You're crossing the boundaries. You're now into my personal space, and I think that it's time that you move on. And after a week or two, then it 
stopped, and I have not had anything happen since. Dan Smith is an author who grew up hearing the legends of the haunted honky-tonk. In 2013, Dan authored the book Ghosts of Bobby Mackey's Music World. He's an expert on the history of the building, which he says begins with the murder of Pearl Bryan. Yeah, 1896 into 1897, um, there's a young 22-year-old girl from Greencastle, Indiana, named Pearl Bryan, who became pregnant. There's some question of what, whether it was her cousin or her lover, and she came to Cincinnati under the guise of, of getting an abortion and met with a doctor. The abortion was botched. Um, the doctor was a quack. She was bleeding heavily. They had gone down to, you know, Coble's drugstore in Cincinnati and got her cocaine, which you could just buy off the shelf back then. So she's bleeding heavily. She's, uh, you know, high on cocaine. And they take her across Kentucky. Um, and about two miles from where Bobby Mackey's is at now, she's murdered. There are some questions. There was two men that were tried, Scott Jackson and Alonzo Walling, both very young. Like, uh, I think Walling was 19 Jackson was like 22, somewhere in there. And um, Jackson was a dental student. So there was some question to begin with whether they actually went to see a doctor or if he had attempted this abortion with his dental tools and, and botched mm. it. Mm. So the whole story is pretty macabre, but you know, there's evidence says that she was decapitated while alive, according to the blood spatter and, and the mm. evidence. Her head, according to legend, was never found. Now, when I was researching for the book, I think I found at least 12 articles where people found her head. Everyone was trying to become famous. And I'm thinking, where are people finding these heads? Where are these skulls just coming from? You know, just like people are trying to become famous, I think. So who knows where these heads came from? But that story sort of was tragic in itself. But then when the book Hell's Gate came out by an author named Doug Hensley, um, this is where the story of the two of them possibly doing satanic rituals at the site of this old slaughterhouse came into play. Which is now the Bobby Mackey site. Right. The only problem was that the rituals couldn't have really happened because the building was a distillery at the time, not a slaughterhouse. But the murder did occur about two miles from the site, and Brian's head was never found. It's just another creepy reason why Dan Smith refuses to go back. And he has a message for those thinking of taking the Bobby Mackey's tour. Don't do it. But there are stories, articles from 1865, for example, about people being scared of this area. Uh, there's, it's a ghost town now, but there was an area called Finchtown there. Uh, they had a hotel. They had the distillery. They had a drugstore. It's all gone now. Yeah. And why were people scared? The area was haunted. So oh, okay. there's an article uh, referenced in the book there from 1865 where people said that you would either wait for the train to come through um, and then go running through there, or you would go through making lots of noise yourself so you wouldn't hear the sounds of spooks and specters uh, in the darkness. So the claims go way prior to even any building being on the site. As I went there and have started doing these events and investigations and ghost tours over a period of time. We started to get these voices out of thin air that sounded like a young boy. He called himself Timmy. And let me just first say, I can appreciate how insane this is going to sound. Okay. 
but I also, on the air side of caution, I think it's important for people to know that this kind of stuff is possible. Over a period of time, I started getting contact from this little boy named Timmy. He said he was trapped. I, you know, I, I'm not heartless, so I became kind of obsessed with it. Like, hey, there's this kid spirit there. We need to help him. How do I do that? I'm just a human. What can I do? You know. Um, sure. This is before I learned anything from uh, clergy about exorcism or cleansing, and stuff started happening at my home. Oh. Especially after events there, and not just me, others as well. Um, come home, the TV turns on by itself, full volume several times over. Um, I remember waking up to the sound of every dish in my kitchen coming out of the cupboards and breaking one night, and I ran downstairs and looked, and nothing's out of place. Oh, wow. The most frightening night that ever happened to me. I remember waking up in this old house to the door handle jiggling. It was like the original 1920s door handles. And just like a, just what you would think of in a classic horror movie, I woke up to this door handle jiggling. My heart's pounding. So I like set up and I'm looking for a weapon. There's an intruder. And before I can do anything, this door cracked open. On the ground, I could see the moonlight, but no one was there. My heart was pounding. I, I, but I swear to you, and I can, again, I can appreciate how crazy this sounds, but it's true. Something walked across the wooden floor, creaked the floor, and then sat down on the mattress next to me. Hey, what do you do in that situation? I'm shaking my fist at nothing in the night. Um, mm -hmm. That was one of the scariest things. I had a long streak of bad luck um, around the house. Like computers died, TVs died. My car battery my, would die all the time. My friends would come over, their car batteries would die. It was obvious that there was something really strange going on. So what do you do? At that time, um, I was at an event. Um, I met an acquaintance that I knew named uh, Bishop James Long. He's the Archbishop of the um, Old Catholic Church in, in Louisville. Sure. So I told him, hey, here's what's going on. Can you say a prayer for me? I think some, somebody's come home with me. Um, and then in this expo center inside in front of this bishop and two priests a, a wind blew past us inside and when it blew it blew our hair and his eyes got big and i remember him looking at his priest and saying do you smell that it's the holy scent of chrism so i'm thinking oh good so i'm being blessed or maybe someone's watching out for me and he basically he's like no this is very bad tell me more um so as we <laughs> talked yeah uh, talked he basically told me no you've been tricked there's no children's spirits there there are very dark, dangerous things there. So Bishop James Long tells me, what you're explaining to me is a demonic attachment. If you don't do something about it, you could become possessed or worse. I'll never forget that thing because he said, or worse. Right. And in my mind, I'm thinking, I don't know if I really believe this 100%. Sure. It took 11 months of guidance from the, the church uh, like these theological principles also some scientific stuff that I was learning in the lab at the time but um, to get rid of it and after 11 months of this bad luck and health problems and 
terrifying things at night and the stench of like garbage following you around and dread and dying batteries, it all stopped one day. So I contacted the bishop and he said, you know, you have to be very careful because if this is the case, then now you're marked. Now you're marked. Now that you've defeated them, they'll do everything they can for the rest of your life to overwhelm you and overcome you. So you have to be very careful at any, any interaction you have anywhere in the world because you could be tricked. And me, going through that experience, I said, oh, holy crap, this is real. People need to know this. So I'll admit it was very dumb, but I started going back there. And I kept taking tour groups and, and trying to educate people. But now I look back and you just can't, I really don't think you can make someone understand the level of what they would experience unless they have it. And then when they do, it's the pe- they're, they're like me. They, it's terrible. It's a terrible time in your life. Go, go there, enjoy a drink, enjoy Bobby's music, and don't mess with the paranormal side at all. Of course, we ignored Dan's advice and immediately sent a few friends to take the tour. And yes, they got way more than they bargained for. Thomas Weatherford and Robert Clark, along with Thomas's 17-year-old son, Levi, visited Bobby Mackey's on a dark, cold January night. Angie, who you met earlier, provided the tour. She gave us the choice of going through a history tour or just, or a scary uh, just going for ghost hunting. Yeah, she said, do you want to go get scared or do you want historical or both? And, you know, we want a little of both, but we... we we prefaced our entire night around history, so and she was super good. I thought she she was she was better than what I expected. Uh, first, when you come in, man, you sign the you sign the book, dude. Uh, I thought it was going to be a waiver, honestly. Something corny like that. Start off the night with, uh, you know, if anything happens to you in here and you're you're paranormally affected, we're not responsible, kind of thing. Uh, basic check in, get your flashlight. Um, EMF two, yeah, I mean, or K two. I'm sorry, K two yeah, sensor. They offer you the electromagnetic sensor if you want it, but they don't force it on you. The flashlights they give you are pretty basic. They're not anything that looks like it can be manipulated. Or, I mean, they're they're pretty. super super simple stuff. We're talking five dollar LEDs, like stuff that stuff that I personally looked at, checked out to make sure it hadn't been didn't look like it had been manipulated or it could be controlled in any sort of way. And um, and then, you know, she gives you the basic lowdown and the, and the offering of, of historical or whatever, and then you, you go. Um, she, she takes you in, too, and, and starts the tour right in the big dining hall. Our crew reported seeing the flashlights turn off and on by command, as well as hearing voices come through what's called a voice box, a device commonly used during paranormal investigations where people can ask questions about the place they're touring. The device searches local radio stations to put together names and phrases and answers to questions. But nothing prepared our friends, especially Robert, for what he would encounter upstairs in the apartment. Both Thomas and Levi later reported feeling uneasy and ill in that space. Robert, six feet tall, a former military man, had a much more terrified reaction. Still very skeptical. Um, I go up to this bathroom and kind of same thing. Just wanted to check it out. Wasn't expecting anything. Didn't think of anything. I think uh, Levi did say that he wa- he didn't like it. He wasn't going in there anymore. Um, but, you know, he's 17. I'm 34 years old. I'm like, all right, whatever, kid. So 
I fully step into this bathroom. Um, no hesitation. I didn't, you know, didn't even think twice about stepping into this old creepy bathroom. And I'm, I'm looking around and immediately when I step in, I, I get this very strange feeling come over my body. Um, it was, it was weird, but in my head, I, I'm like, stop being weird, Rob. Um, you know, you're psyching yourself out. So I'm just kind of standing there and I look down into the tub and nobody has said anything about the tub to me. Um, so, you know, I know nothing about this at this point. I look into that tub and I immediately feel this just oppressive darkness, um, just intense dread sitting in my chest. Um, I start shaking and I'm, I get emotional right now talking about it. Um, I tears started welling in my eyes. Um, and so I can't handle it anymore. I back out of the, the bathroom. Now I didn't have an urge to touch the tub. I had an urge to get as far the away from it as I possibly could. Um, I back out of the bathroom and I turn around and I, I say I something to the effect I'm never going in there again. And that's the only words that got out of my mouth. Not what you said, but okay. You said, "Dude, I'm up." Okay, is exactly what you said. So you might have followed it with, "I'm never going back in there again," but you said, well, "Dude, I'm fucked up." I I was completely. I was. Yeah, no. I was, um, I was scared for you for a minute. Like I've never seen you ever scared of any. Not nothing. Not like that. that. No, no, that was panic. Um, so. I'm standing fairly close to everybody else. I'm hyperventilating. Um, I can't catch my breath. I'm I I start like gagging, like I'm gonna throw up. Did you retch twice? Like, um, like. it was just a, a very, very crazy feeling. Don't keep out the best part. You're a grown man and you cried in front of oh, a I, woman. Oh, for sure. 100%. I, I said tears boy. were welling up in my eyes. Yeah, they well. They up. were definitely falling. I, I'm not, Look, I'm I not will scared. not say. I'm not busting balls. I was scared for you. Yeah, I, I was truly terrified. Um, for half a second as I was retching, I legitimately thought I was going to die. I couldn't even speak at that and point. And you were back with people. Then. And I was back with everybody like standing generally in that circle of everybody um it it scared me i mean flat out it scared me um it was truly a a, yeah. a, a wild experience yeah man rob's not a like i'm gonna act out and be dramatic about shit kind of guy this was it was it was as a friend as a friend not so much um you know, I, I, I still want to be a skeptic, for real. Like, I want to be a skeptic. I, you know, I want to say it was me psyching myself out, um, but it just, I, I'm, I'm shaking right now. Bro, you cried again in the car I without did. being able to control it. Like, on, our, I, on our way home, we kind of, and this is, this is going to sound maybe corny, 
But we, we didn't even get a quarter. We got about a quarter mile away exactly. Um, Rob, just mentioning the upstairs again, became emotional in the car. Uh, tears again in the eyes, just running that were just sort of uncontrolled. It wasn't any sobbing or anything. It was just, Jesus, so much emotion was pushing out of his face. And um, so about a quarter mile away from this place, and because it was so cold when we left, we didn't think to do it before we got in. And we just had this experience. We actually pulled over about a quarter mile away, and everybody kind of asked in their own way with their own beliefs, you know, whatever you whatever you asked or prayed to or whatever, everybody asked these spirits to make sure they return back to their you know, to the resting place and to, to, to ask, we asked that the car be cleansed and we asked that we be cleansed. And, um, you know, before we came any closer to home or any further toward home, that's how, I would say that's how dramatic that upstairs was, the, our yeah. experience. Right. After my experience upstairs, we, we used the voice box and everything. And uh, so Angie starts asking questions. Hey, what else is up here? Are there more than one of you? And... It really got interesting when she asked, are you trapped? All of us, all four of us, very, very clearly heard yes. And it wasn't like, a, oh, we heard yes. It was like the voice box was cycling. And it was just like, boom, like somebody hit pause on the cycle and just went, yes. And then a few seconds went by and the voice box started cycling through radio stations again. It was it was a very clear, like, it was like when the power went off on the furnace or whatever. It was just a no noise and yes. We said, are you afraid? Yes. Boom. Like, who are you afraid of? God damn. And I mean, it was as clear as day, just like straight cursing. Not dead. God damn it. So, and then she tried to go into the bathroom. She's like, and she speaks out, I'm going to walk into the bathroom now. And then we hear, no. Oh, yeah, absolutely. God damn. Yeah. Leave. I mean, and these were in quick succession. So Those three were the, the, the biggest three. That it was were the closest thing to the a closest, sentence. Like, yeah. Like a full sentence. It was just, and I'm telling you, like, just, just saying this. I haven't had any emotional response since we left last night. I haven't had any physical response since we left last night. But repeating those words out loud is like got my whole body in chills and I'm getting like uh, my throat's getting hung up. Um, it, I mean, the instant she said, I'm going in the bathroom, then if you won't talk to us, I'm going in the bathroom. And it was just like time stop, man. No, goddamn, leave. And then there's Bobby Mackey himself. What does he think about all of the hauntings and demonic possessions and his club being the gateway to hell? At the very least, he got a hit single based on the story of Johanna, which you heard earlier. But as for what Mr. Mackey believes, color him dubious. Where I came from up in Lewis County, Kentucky, when the old timers around there would talk about a certain cabin or a certain place out in the woods being haunted, I wouldn't go near it. <laughs> I'd stay as far away from as I could get. So my way of thinking, people wouldn't want to come there. Okay. When when this story started getting around, it was there, there were some people really interested in it, uh, and somebody knew somebody that knew somebody, and they 
they asked they all got together and asked me if, if I would allow them to do a seance in there oh and so I agreed but I didn't want to do with it and I wasn't even close to it but Carl was still there then and uh, uh, this was you know I guess early to mid 80s I reckon some no little little later but, but the song was written in 89 so it was shortly ahead of that and and the through the seance, I was told that that they that they communicated with a Johanna, <laughs> and so that's and that's the way they said it. That's the way that they interpreted. It. And so I wrote the song Johanna, and maybe I spelled it wrong because I spelled it, I, I'm the one who spelled it. It was Johanna, but. Mm-hmm. Johanna's the way they pronounced it to me that they picked up on it. But, but you know, so many people do believe in it, and, and I just don't. I can't make myself believe in it at all. Uh, through the years, I've, I've actually gotten more convinced that there probably isn't anything, but more people believe it than don't. And when I say that, you know, I, I kind of soften it a bit because I hate to uh, hurt anybody's feelings or... or you know be such a hard nose about it so i give them the benefit of the doubt and people come there from all over to investigate and it's just a phenomenon and and it's i don't know it's it's bigger than me (laughs) and i i don't believe in it but but so many people do you know i have to give them a little a little break you know in my thoughts yeah, you know, come for the ghosts and stay for the music. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brent, I, uh, I, I one of the things that I thought after I l- listened to all this, we did the interviews. I, you know, I've been to this place several times myself. I've never seen anything. Uh, I thought that we were going to send our people to this place. Uh, they were going to go through, learn some really interesting facts about a local joint and come back. And that was that. I was kind of more surprised than anybody else that we had more to the story. Well, here's, so we were talking earlier, you, you didn't want to say this up top and I understand why, but one thing that I, I've been a little bit skeptical of doing a lot of paranormal investigation kind of, uh, topics for the not cast really just because they're everywhere. Right. Um, but the ones that we've done so far have been really interesting because, because we've either uh, traveled to these places ourselves and got firsthand accounts from people who have experienced really odd things, or um, sometimes it's just been fun, like sending you out <laughs> and letting like <laughs> things happen to you. And I, I, I enjoy that right. part of part of the show. Uh, this one is my understanding, if I remember right. You were you were going to go, but you got really sick. And so we had to find we had to find uh, stand-ins. Do you blame uh, the ghosts at Bobby Mackey's for my illness? Um, that wouldn't make any sense, right? I mean, unless they right of all the things that we've talked about tonight, yes, that's the thing that doesn't make any sense. Yes, or or do do you want to point out? I feel like you might have been going down this road that as a stand-in for me. We got a 17-year-old boy. Is that what you wanted to point out? No, that that's, that's what we'll do. That's just sad. I would say in terms of uh, uh, heroic uh, uh, qualities that that's probably a fair trade, probably. Mm. 
That's really disrespectful. <laughs> to the boy? Yeah, and this family. <laughs> Sorry, Weatherfords, but we love you all. And uh, But that was the cool thing about doing this is that I think that was the nice thing to say is that th- there is some really <laughs> interesting stuff about this place. Other than, you know, like, do I believe it's haunted? I have no idea. I haven't seen anything that would lend myself to believe that. But this place has some really wicked history behind it. Not even, and we haven't even talked about the mechanical bull. Like, <laughs> that might be the scariest thing of all. <laughs> yeah. Um, go there on a Saturday night and uh, check out the scene. Bring some Windex or some. That's a lot of crotches. All right, we'd like to thank Bobby Mackey, Thomas Weatherford, Robert Clark, Angie Jackson, and Dan Smith for sharing their stories with us today. So did you know, Ryan, that the Ripley's Auditorium in Key West, Florida, occupies what was once known as the Russell House Hostillery? And we've heard many tales of paranormal activity there, too. Although we can't verify the accounts of the hauntings, you can read the stories at our website. Ripley's.com. Workers say they've been touched and scratched. They've heard mysterious whistles. And they even say they've seen the ghostly image of a girl in a yellow dress. Believe it or not. Find these and other creepy tales at our website ripley's.com in this episode we've heard quite a few ghost stories something we normally think of as reserved for halloween but the 1963 christmas song the most wonderful time of the year mentions telling scary ghost stories as many people already know a number of the most beloved christmas traditions yule logs mistletoe even the christmas tree itself actually have their origins in pagan worship yule was and still is the celebration of the winter solstice, which is the day of the year when it's darkest for the longest period of time. Because of its long, cold night, Yule was also considered by many to be the day when spirits and ghosts were most likely to be able to interact with the living. As such, the tradition of telling ghost stories during this time of the year might go all the way back to Yule itself, even before it was transformed into Christmas. Enter Charles Dickens, who created a tale about a miser named Scrooge who learns the error of living a life for personal and financial gain only after being visited by four specters on Christmas Eve. The 1863 novel A Christmas Carol was an instant classic, and as such, the celebration of Christmas became much more significant in European society. This led to ghosts and their stories becoming a staple of Christmas traditions yet again, especially in England. Halloween then became popular when immigrants brought it to America, and the lure of demons, spirits, and thoughts of the afterlife became much more popular in mainstream culture, cementing Halloween as a time for ghost stories and possibly removing it from that of Christmas, which fell soon after. Here at Ripley's, we think any time is a good time for a creepy ghost story, and as long as we keep hearing them, we will keep passing them along to you. Believe us or not. Believe it or not. The world is quiet. Someone came and took her lover's life. Johanna, Johanna, where are you now? Could it be you're still here somehow? Rip.
Please. Believe It or Not cast is produced by myself, Ryan Clark, and Sabrina Seek. Our executive producer is Amanda Joyner. I edit the show. The Not cast is recorded at the historic Herzog Studio, home of the nonprofit Cincinnati USA Music Heritage Foundation. The Not cast intro theme was put together by Colton Cruz, and our ending theme song is by the band Wussy. If you enjoyed this episode, please go tap that fifth star on Apple Podcasts. If you have comments, questions, or ideas, email us at notcast at ripleys.com or tweet at ripleys. Catch us next week on the Notcast as we slide into your dreams and maybe even teach you how to control them. If you've ever wanted to fly to new worlds or communicate with loved ones who've passed on, catch us next time as we examine the phenomenon of lucid dreaming. That's next week on Ripley's Believe It or Not cast. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was crazy. Um, it, I don't know how else to explain it other than some weird dead people shit. Believe it or not.